Welcome once again to the Tennis Takeaway with the Two Barrys. Sat outside today, it's a beautiful sunny day and a chance for us to reflect on the end of the, the Sunshine Double. What a finish for you-know-who, Roger Federer, 101st title buzzer, 37 years young. I mean, the guy just keeps going on and on and on, winning all these titles. What an effort. He's only eight away from Jimmy Connors now. He's catching him up quickly. Yeah, it was an extraordinary effort because where Roger was after, after Melbourne, and you don't you don't get to have the success that Federer's had in his incredible career without always looking at the glass half empty. I mean, he said, I play well in Australia. And, and then to play as well as he did in Indian Wells and have the disappointment of not being able to, to clinch the match against team. Team played amazing tennis. I mean, it takes his very best level to be able to beat Federer. And, and I, th- I was thinking going into Miami, mm, I wonder if this could be the same case as what happened 12 months ago when he lost to Del Potter in Indian Wells, having had the championship point, then lost his first match against Kokinakis. And having commentated on Roger's first match against Albot, that's what it was looking like. Roger was very slovenly, very lacklustre. He was at times all over the shop, but he was able to dig deep, find a way to win that match. And then the last three victories, I mean, he just absolutely breezed through the draw and playing some of the best tennis, actually, that I've seen Roger play, yeah, close on 18 months. We started last week's podcast talking about the youngsters from Canada, mm-hmm. uh, Shapovalov and uh, Osha Aliazim. Uh, they had then got to the round of 16. They went all the way to the semi-finals, and uh, perhaps uh, with a bit more uh, experience under their belts, they might have gone further? Yes, um, but I think also the reality of where those guys are at and the younger guys, and we're looking at the race now, and Monday, and so the performances from January the 1st this year, who are one, two, and three? It's Federer, it's Djokovic, and it's Nadal. So it's, it's incredibly difficult, it doesn't matter what age they are, to knock these guys off their perch. But Shapovalov, after the initial 2017 incredible journey, last year was a case of just kind of almost consolidating the ranking. Actually, he ended 2018 higher than 2017, and he is improving. But he still has areas of his game that he needs to improve, but he will improve. Same with um, Auger, Aliassime. I mean, both of them are destined for greatness. I, I str- I've always felt that from the first time we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks. When I saw Auger, Aliassime and Shapovalov play doubles together in the Canadian Masters a couple of years ago, there was just some presence about both of them. They're going to push each other. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what else they could do this year. And Auger, Aliassime and, and Dennis, different styles of play, aren't they? You've got Shapovalov, who's the shot maker, and you've got Auger, Aliassime, who, who is in many ways an all-court player. I think very exciting for both of them. Neither of them were born when Federer first played in Miami. And I saw a really uh, great stat. Somebody... Um, revealed yesterday that the only current player still out there playing who was in the singles draw the same as Federer 20 years ago was Bob Bryan and of course look what Bob and Mike have done they've gone and won the title again in the doubles I guess the key is to not uh, not turn professional until your mid-30s <laughs> and then your best your best tennis is going to be 35 onwards yeah Mike and Bob and what I'm really pleased about um, for Bob you know especially is you know after it must have been difficult although you know, obviously they're so close, Mike and Bob, and they've been on this incredible journey together. It must have been difficult at times to see his brother play as well as he did in winning the Wimbledon title, in winning the US Open title, in winning the O2 title, and also in his desperate need to get back to full fitness, but also doubts whether he could. 
get back to the full fitness. Um, but yeah, 40, 40 years of age and still playing great tennis and still winning titles. And you know, in many ways, what we were talking about with with the top guys in the men's uh, Federer, Djokovic, and and Nadal is you know you look at the Bryans and the, what they're doing in the doubles. There is still a lack of the younger doubles players really grabbing that doubles game by the scruff of the neck. No one's really been able to, to dominate. Um, it's crying out for someone to do it, but you know, for the Bryans, I think to get back winning a title like that will help them going forward in the slams. On the women's side, in terms of the doubles, um, Zabalenka and Mertens doing the Sunshine Double, winning Indian Wells and Miami back-to-back, but uh, notably on the singles side, another champion this year, what is it now, 14 titles um, won by different players and the latest being Ashley Barty. What a fantastic uh, start to the season she's having and uh, having, of course, uh, taken time away from the sport, coming back to do what she's now doing. Yeah, it is a great story, as you said, Barry. And I think it's something that, and I've always felt very strongly myself, having, having been through it um, when I was playing. If you're not feeling it at the time, there is nothing wrong in actually taking a step back and doing something else because what often happens and, and more, more often than not Barry it's the case when you get injured when you're forced and, and you might you might be away for six months and then reality hits that actually first of all you realize how much you miss it and also I think secondly you realize that actually what you've in many ways you've been taken for granted is not why you started the sport originally uh, and I think for Ashley that clearly she was maybe burnt out because you start from the age of six and it's this relentless your, your personality as tennis players we're all perfectionists you're searching for perfection which which is never going to happen but you're on this journey and it's almost every single day you're looking to yourself make yourself a better tennis player that you do mentally it, it, it can get tiring so by just taking a clean break going to play cricket so she was still involved in the the professional sport aspect but she would probably learned a lot mentally that actually has made a tennis player better tennis player she's probably having not played tennis i don't know if she didn't pick up a racket but if you're not if you don't play tennis for a year she actually probably come back and be a better tennis player because she's been able to mature and i think it's, it's appropriate isn't it that we you know we talk about the journey and how some of the juniors maybe struggled to make that transition from being world-class juniors to winning grand slams to not really being able to 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 make an impression quickly in the professional ranks they get frustrated and they get sort of beaten, battered, um, is a better word to use. Um, so, so for Ashley, she's, she's been able to, to grow mentally. And very exciting. I, mean, I love the way she plays. I mean, any time you've got a player who has an all-round game, yeah, that's, that's great for the sport. Well, today, Baza and I have come down to the uh, National Tennis Centre in Roehampton. So thanks to them for letting us uh, do an interview with Alfie Hewitt, the uh, wheelchair tennis player who has already made uh, great strides in the sport. You're just 21 years of age, Alfie. But um, at the start of your life, you were dealt some pretty tough cards, weren't you, physically? Yeah. I mean, when I was born, newborn baby, I was diagnosed with a heart condition called Tetralogy of Phallets, um, which... Um, has numerous malfunctions, you could say, but the main one being the, the two holes in the heart. So I was too young. I was only £3.11 when I was born, so I was too small to be operated on. But as I grew a little bit, I had a big, a major heart operation, and um, they managed to patch a few things over and, and get me back on the road. 
Uh, and then when I was six years old, seven years old, I I started to develop some some pains in my thighs. I was quite an active kid. I loved my football. I was um, trying to really push for the Norwich Academy at the time. I was a keen goalkeeper, and um, you know I just I just loved sport. You know, it was everything I wanted to do. It was um, it was my life uh, back then even, and um, started to to really feel some some pains, and uh, it grew it grew worse over the the kind of months I, uh, I started it and um, it wasn't until I started collapsing um, you know on the football pitch and, and downstairs and it was quite a serious um, thing we realised and we obviously rushed to the hospital and had loads of scans done and it turns out I was diagnosed with um, a hip condition called Perthes disease which is where the on the top of the, the hip or the female head um, disintegrates due to like lack of blood circulation um, just one of the things that happen it's quite common in kids who are quite active in those sorts of ages and uh, it was you know a bit bit quick you know it was all sudden and obviously it's not like it was an accident it wasn't my fault it was never something that you know, just was a consequence or something it was just it was one of those things it was, it was a tough period obviously to to get over I was young at the time and had some other things going on in my life so yeah it was it was a really tough period, but you know what? To to, to say I'm sitting here now in the National Tennis Centre with you know, the accolades and, and what I'm doing in my career, it's, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. To get from that point to this, though, takes a, a lot of self-determination, effort, drive, just belief in yourself. So from the frightening stage that must have been for you, thinking what's going on at such a young age, and yet you soon got involved in tennis, didn't you? Uh, was that deliberate or was that by chance that you chose this sport? I tried lots of different sports, if I'm honest. You know, being a really active young kid, um, playing football, like, like I said, and then going from that lifestyle to, to being in a wheelchair, you know, I found it tough. It's, it's not what a seven-year-old dreams to, to be, and it's hard to accept. I remember trying to get out of my wheelchair and try and do, you know, uh, running down the, the football pitch, because I used to try, oh, well, I used to visit my, my team whenever I could still, and, you know, it, it was hard just to being able to sit there and not do what you want to do, but... Um, the support I had around me at the time is what got me through it, and it was it was my family that found that pathway for me in in disability sport, and obviously ever so thankful and grateful for the, for that. Because um, would I be sitting here now if it wasn't for them? Probably not. Um, but you know, when I was when I was eight nine years old, I picked myself up, and, and Mum took me to one of these kind of disability trial days in Stoke Mandeville, where you can go and play lots of different disability sports. And I came back to Norfolk, and I was like, you know, what, I really enjoyed wheelchair basketball, wheelchair tennis, and archery. Uh, so so random, because <laughs> I mean, archery is probably the least strenuous sport you could probably pick, and that is so not me if you know me. <laughs> um, but I, I loved it, you know, I loved I loved everything about it. Uh, it was different, and I could play it with my, my brother and sister. That was quite a big thing, obviously, I like the competitiveness, and um, I think I was isolated a little bit when I did go in my wheelchair. So being able to, to get back involved with with sport, you know, with, with friends and, and, and family, it, it meant the world. And, and that was purely why I got involved with wheelchair tennis. It was every Wednesday at the um, Lime Tree Road, East Anglian Tennis and Squash Club in Norwich. Grandma used to take me, she'd sit in a car, it'd be freezing cold, didn't matter, summer, autumn, winter, spring. We were there and we'd just have a lot of fun, you know, play games, silly games. You know, I never dreamed of, 
of being a world champion at that time. It was just, it was just something to have, um, you know, good, good fun, and, and I mean, there's so many benefits that sport can bring. But um, that that was purely my reason behind it, and uh, I, I kind of grew from that. I, I really found that tennis was kind of the sport for me. I still played wheelchair basketball for, for many, many years, and unfortunately, kind of got to a stage where three sports in a week with keyboard lessons and school and all that homework, I kind of had to. To cancel some out, so uh, I dropped the keyboard and I dropped the archery and kind of basketball and tennis were the two sports that I am um, I kind of pursued in when I was younger and then yeah tennis tennis was the one that I guess uh, won won my heart and um, you know such a a great opportunity where the sport is at at the moment and I and I decided to to, to dedicate my time to that um, from quite an early age. So you'd never played tennis before you'd arrived at Stoke Mandeville. No, never in my life. I'd never picked up a racket on my feet. It was. Um, yeah, it was it was such a strange experience because my coordination was all over the shop. Obviously, using my legs, I was never really um, um, someone that had had played racket sports before in my life. But it, it for sure took me a long while. And I remember, I remember one of my first sessions there. I was in my day chair, and luckily back then I had anti-tips. But if you've ever seen wheelchair tennis, you notice that the chair setup is completely different to like a, a normal day chair, and it helps you massively. But um, I remember trying to go for like a smash. I was I was awful, and I just went backwards in my chair, fell out, slapped back, and I, and I loved it. I just loved being able to to, to go around the court, and I, I didn't have the the chair set up or the or the facilities, but um, I just loved being out there. And I've always been someone that likes a challenge. You know, I'll, I'll take it head on, and um, if I can't do something, I'm not someone to shy away from it. I'll, I want to kind of knuckle down and work out how I can hit that ball, how I can hit that forehand, how I can hit that backhand. And mum will tell you, if she was here right now, the amount of hours I spent in the garden just against the wall, I'd be in my chair just volleying balls against uh, against the wall, and it always did win. But, um, you know, that, that kind of attitude towards, you could say life, I guess, but, but also tennis is, is probably the big reason why I am. So when did it become really serious and you decided this is what you want to do with your life? Since I was seven. <laughs> I was always serious. Um, now, probably... The first time I, I realised that I wanted to do this kind of professionally and as a career was um, when I won the World Junior Masters in Tarbes back in 2012. And, you know, I was still in education and I didn't know really where I wanted to go because I'd, I'd spoken to a lot of the, the pros that were playing wheelchair sport and the sport was growing. It, it, you know, it wasn't at the heights as it was right now. And could you make a living out of it? You had to be at the top of your game and obviously probably wasn't seeing myself at that um, at the age and mum was still pushing for me to obviously go to college and maybe go to uni and making sure that even if I did want to become a tennis professional I had something to you know fall back on you could say so I'd done that like I said I went to the World Masters and I loved it it was in Tarbes it was it ran alongside the I think it's called Les Petit Ass I think it is um, the under 14s and it was quite a, it is a big tournament for, the, for those guys and um, I was exposed to kind of the atmosphere I was there on the finals days and it was madness we managed to play on the centre court at the finals and I think I'd played in front of about five people in my whole life before that <laughs> come out into this final which was at the time probably the biggest tournament of my junior career and there was about 2,000 people there and I'm not going to lie it was, it was a bit nerve wracking um, I played a guide that I'd never been before I think he'd he dubbed me six love, six love about six months before that, so I wasn't feeling confident. And I was a set and five two down, and brought it back. Won the set, was five two down in the third, and he had match points, and I won it in the third set tiebreak. So 
I mean, that, that moment right there was, was definitely what made it for me. And it was the year of the London 2012, which doesn't really need <laughs> much explaining how much hype there was around that. And I was there for most of the tennis. So I was able to look at the other sports as well. But um, I watched the Paralympic final, Shingo and Huday, and I was just in awe of, the, of these guys. I wanted to be them. I wanted to be in that spot. And it is, it is still to this day, it's quite surreal to think that four years later I was then playing in the Paralympic final. It's kind of... It gives me goosebumps thinking about it. It's, it's madness, but um, yeah, that that for sure was was the ma- the making for, of, of me. And then I kicked on. I I won the junior masters. The 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 following two years, I, I never lost their singles and doubles. I became the world number one. And um, then I started to really take it seriously. And I was probably spending more time on the tennis court than I was in the classroom. Work on the road is tough, I'm telling you. Um, but yeah, kept up with the GCSEs, obviously, and all the education. Went to college and. They were very, very supportive. I've got to give them the credit there. Any other place probably wouldn't have given me the, the 25% attendance that I had in the year, but I decided to, to, to start playing senior events. I wanted to improve my game. I wanted to get exposed to it early on, and the coaches I had at the time were, were behind me and the supportive, and you have to go through that stage. It's the you know, same with the the ATP or the WTA. You know, it, it, That transition period, it takes it takes a while. You know, it takes you to the, the pace of the game, the, the power, the strength, the, the agility, the fitness. You know, if you see me... Four years ago, I was probably still stuffing myself with pizzas and crisps and, and drinking Domino's every day. And I was I was bad, and I had to be educated and I had to learn all that. And it took time, but it sunk in around, to be fair, 2016, early on that year. And I, I travelled away a little bit, went to Oz, started to get a feel for what these tournaments were like, being on the road, and and it just gave me a buzz. You know, it just gave me this big motivation to, to really push myself and and to be the best I could, even at 18 years old. And uh, decided not to go to uni. Decided that tennis was what I was going to do. Finished college in 2016, June time, May time. That was when me and Gio then won Wimbledon for the first year and then two silver medals at the Paralympics two months later. So I think that kind of sealed the deal <laughs> for me. I knew what I wanted to do and yeah, the rest is history, you could say. I remember that day very well at Wimbledon. I mean, all sorts was going on at Wimbledon that year, of course, but with the wheelchair sport initially as a kind of an exhibition event, but then run properly as a tournament for you guys um, to play on the hallowed grass at Wimbledon must have been I guess a, a huge thrill but to get to the final and there was only standing room around that court watching you guys clinch at you and Gordon Reid how much of a of an inspiration a mentor as well as a, a great rival of course when you play singles but how much of a of a part of your story has Gordon been yeah he's, he's obviously been there for for quite a few years we've been doubles partners for you know a couple of a couple of years before the Paralympics, so, you know, since since 2014, we've been a you know a close knit, and he has been a mentor to me. I can't I can't lie about that. He was my he was my idol. You know, him him Shingo, them two were probably the guys I looked up to when I was coming through the rankings, and the, and the way he played as well. You know, he does take them in quite a bit. He says I'm just like a mini Gordon, really. I'm trying to always be like him. So, um, yeah, yeah, he 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 kind of took me under his wing, and you know, it was a lot of competition for for doubles partners for the games there was it wasn't just me and Gordon there was a few others that were in the mix so we we all tried out with it you know it wasn't it wasn't just me and Gordon all along and that was kind of the the kick up that I guess the butt I needed to make sure that you know I knew at the time Gordon was the best player we had in in, in the country and if I wanted to get a medal in in the games he was probably my best bet at doing that so you know I really stepped up my game and and he he helped along for sure you know he he's been out there he's been to the grand slams he's he's been at the games before I'm just like this young kid buzzing around and not knowing what's going on. Uh, you know, I'm a very emotional player if you've ever seen me, but he was able to, to kind of keep calm and tell me the right things at the right time. And 
yeah, he had for sure. He shaped, he shaped me and he shaped the partnership into the way it is and how successful it is. And obviously, the, the coaches and everyone around us has, has helped that. But, um, you know, he backed me. I was only 18 in my first games, and going into my first games is a big thing. You know, going to a Paralympics, if you've never been there before, it's a scary thing. You're in a, you're in a village, you're surrounded by multi sports that. Uh, you know, it's such a it's such a vibe, it's such an atmosphere, and you can get carried away in it, even the you know, the ceremonies. And to trust me that I could focus on the tennis and to not get let off or distracted by any of that is shows, you know, shows uh, I guess the confidence he had in me, and that that kind of belief then comes onto the tennis court. Well, I've only met you for about 20 minutes, but what is clear, and I'm sure Barry would agree, that you have the belief that nothing will stop you. So silver medal, and now the Paralympics yeah. next year. So that's going to, going to be just one target for you, isn't it? It's it's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. It's um, the the heartache of getting two silvers in the Paralympics will never leave. It, it it was amazing to come away from that experience with two silver medals, but being on that podium there and I just lost when I was one match away from probably achieving my all-time dream was was heartbreaking. And you know, I can't say that I could have done any more because at the time it was. It was everything. I gave it all, and, and it just wasn't good enough. And going into to Tokyo, it is massively on my mind. The qualifying starts in a couple of months, and it's hard to not think about it because it means so a lot to all of us. It's probably the pinnacle of disability sport, and we are very fortunate that we have a lot of other events in the year. You know, a lot of the other sports they have the world champs every other year, or. Europeans, whatever it may be, and they don't get that chance to play regularly. Whereas you know, we have that luxury of probably playing a tournament every week if we wanted to, um, let alone playing in four Grand Slams alongside you know <laughs> the best guys in, in everybody tennis. It's it's an incredible feeling, and that's for sure growing. Maybe to the point where it's more meaningful and more purposeful than a Paralympics. But for me, they're, they're equal. You know, I've always wanted a gold medal, gold medal ever since I really found my love for this sport. When I found the, the love for the sport, it, it was the Paralympics. That was always my, my ambition and my dream. And to, and to get a taste of that in, in, in London was what really sparked, like I said, sparked my, my drive for, for Rio. And then to achieve what I did in Rio, it, it, was, um, yeah, it was astonishing. And Tokyo, it's going to be incredible. I think they're going to do a really good job of it. You know, just seeing the preparations and from hearing what, what's going on behind the scenes with the Japanese players and um, the support they get as well is incredible. I mean, we was there. I mean... I think it was one of our first matches in doubles in, in Rio and only like three quarters of the stadium was was packed and the atmosphere was was incredible and I've been to, to Japan for a, a much less tournament and uh, they filled out a 5,000 seat stadium you're like it's going to be big I can I can feel it's going to be big um, but ultimately you know there's there's a lot to happen before that and you know the likes of the slams is, is a pretty good distraction to have it means it means a lot, you know. I want to I want to achieve there is everything there is in the sport. Um, that's simply my goal. I want to I want to win every single Grand Slam singles and doubles title. I want to become the world number one singles and doubles. I've I've achieved I'd say half of that. Um, but I don't want to stop. You know, I've always been told you know if you want to create history, you have to to be the best ever, and that's pretty hard when Shingo's won 23 Grand Slams. But I guess I've got age on my side, so <laughs> there's always that going for me. You already have a, a great rivalry with Cunieda, who is the world number one currently. Um, you beat him last year, didn't you, for the, the US Open title? You'd already picked up a French Open previously, so two of the singles you've got. What is it now? Five doubles Grand Slams, I think you have as well. But um, is he your fiercest rival out there? I mean, I guess he's number one in the world. He has to be. 
It's funny you say that. I've just been talking about him for the last hour for lunch. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a, oh, he's a legend in the sport. He's, his records only show that he was world number one for a year and a half, and he's now come back into the game. He's he was out for injury around the, the Paralympics time, and he's come back on completely new play. He's changed his game. He's reinvented himself. You know, he's adapted, um, which shows some grit because he he could have easily just called it a day and said I'm happy with my career but instead he's come back a stronger man and the rivalry we have is is great because we're pushing each other he, he he's come out and said that openly that you know Alfie has made me a better player and has has made me have to change what I do because back when he was playing 10 years ago maybe it was very much defensive um we wait for the error kind of style but now the game is a lot stronger we're a lot physically um, able to hit balls a lot harder that the guys are growing like the serves are coming down with more pace behind them and tactically as well you know the, the analysis the the SNC everything around the sport at the moment has just developed so yeah he's changed that and I like I'm, I'm I'm happy that I'm I'm obviously his his rival but you know there's a lot of other rivals as well he's not the only player that's beating me this year so uh, competition is is fierce right now and the fact that I've come back from the US Open I took a bit of time off afterwards and then um, I've come back and not won a title yet after four or five tournaments is yeah, it's a bit of a check for me and I need to I need to really get my head down again and, and, and motivate myself and figure out what these players are, are doing to me because they got me um, especially Shingo he's you know he's really had me the last couple of times and it clearly does, it clearly shows he's done his homework but I don't blame him when you've got Tokyo 2020 around your corner in your home games you're going to do everything you, you possibly can to become um, the best and get the, and get and get that gold medal interesting Alfie that you said that he came back um, and changed his game I'm, I'm in awe of how good you guys are but I remember when I first watched wheelchair tennis it was two bounces yeah. and now you, you're still allowed two bounces but it's really one bounce because you've got to try and hit the ball as early as possible so how what was the sort of period where that really changed it's strange to me because that was what I grew up playing that's the way I was taught you know I can't slice if you see my slice it's dreadful I'm very much an aggressive kind of baseline, you can say player. Like I take it to, I take everything on one bounce, and I really take, I, I really take it to him and, and, and try and put the pressure on. Whereas looking back and hearing other stories from just before my time, it was very much like we're set at the back of the court, two bounces, and we're going to wait, see who's got the most patience. I'll tell you that I haven't got that. So um, yeah, I, I think I think I had I was an American player, maybe Stevie Welch that came in and started to bring in the reverse. I mean, that was only maybe 10 years ago. We were all slicing before that. I, get, I do get a lot, of, a lot of funny looks when someone sees my backhand because it's with a chopper grip with the uh, face closed and I'm ripping up the, the wrong side of the racket. So it's, uh, it's a strange one, but that's how I've, I've grown up and that is, that is the first thing I was taught. So for me, it's natural. For me, it's all, all that I know. Um, but for someone like Shingo, who obviously played in that other area where era where it was it was it was a completely different style i admire i admire and respect him so much for for coming back especially after a quite a heavy injury he had and, and changing so that he can have a reverse and he can put more you know penetration on, on the ball and, and actually hit through the court like you said if you see the matches they're a lot quicker even from when i started playing senior matches four or five years ago i've noticed a massive change in pace everyone is, is bulked up they got stronger they're quick around the court, so the wit- there's, there's fewer winners, and we really have to, we really have to anticipate. That's that's also been a big part of of the development is the mental side of it. I mean, you can hit the ball as strong as you like, but if you don't hit it in the right areas, they're going to be there. And everyone knows everyone inside out. As you see, the the draws are only eight when it comes to grand slams, and we find ourselves playing 
the same players. So, yeah, it, it, it really does become a mind game in the end and actually like a game of chess rather than a game of tennis. With your drive to improve, we're here at the NTC and this is a training week. So what would a training week consist of in terms of your balance of hitting on the court and spending time in the gym? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was just talking about with showing my coach in the, in the restaurant. Yeah, Shingo is someone that is a wall. I mean, I talk about hitting against a wall when I was seven years old. This is a different type of wall. <laughs> he, he gets it back with purpose as well. And uh, I really found that I was struggling to hold my own in, in the rally as it went on. You know, I think a lot of, I think I saw a stat and it was like the average rally length of a wheelchair match is maybe four or five balls. So it's quite short. It's, it's quite short. But, you know, you look at the serve and you look at the return, but there's players that have incredible movement like Shingo. And that's doubled, if not tripled. And I found myself in America the last couple of weeks flagging a little bit. And I've, I've, I've come back and I said, I need, to, I need to work on that endurance. And there's been reasons behind that. But, you know, I'm feeling good about where I'm at in terms of physically right now. And you know, there's a gorgeous day for it. But I'd say looking at my week coming into my next, going into my next couple of tournaments in, in Asia in a, in a few weeks, I need to probably spend a bit more time doing that sort of work you know not necessarily getting in in the gym doing weights because I think the power the power is there the strength is there but it's making sure that I'm able to endure those those longer rallies and that's probably less loads but more reps simple stuff like that I've probably changed out I've been doing a lot more strength work recently probably neglected that side of it and then there's more fitness work with my chair you know doing we have, we have this fan drill that you could say is it's a 30 second drill and you speed around the court and you try and do that as quick as you can five times Simple things like that, really, just just getting myself back in the chair, doing short, sharp, anaerobic exercises. I'm quite a fan of getting on the handbike and going around Richmond Park for, for 10 miles, but I'm not sure if that's what I need right now. I need um, something a bit more that's going to get the heart racing. You know, me, and, me and Jira, a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of months ago, we were having a doubles camp, and we are on the, the hills. If you've ever been to the NTC, there's quite a steep hill leading from kind of the grass courts up into the, the clay courts, and... Uh, we challenged uh, each other who could get up there the quickest about 10 times we'd have a minute's rest in between you know, things, things like that we'll make it fun as well but that's that's where's my head at for the next couple of weeks with a lot of obviously on court stuff as well but yeah I think that's where my focus is at. Well the NTC is about two miles away from the All England Club and in between you mentioned Richmond Park so come on I, I think if you get under I, I used to cycle around Richmond Park quite a lot and if you ever got under 20 minutes that was an amazing time What's your best? <laughs> I can tell you, 30, 36, 25, I want to say. Because I, when I, um, it was when I was doing my first rural training block here in NTC about a year ago. And we'd got the handbike in. And Alex, the S&C, he was like, right, we're going to get you out there. But there's one steep hill. And no, no other player has got up it yet. Like, we have to push him up. So I'm thinking, right, I'm going to conquer this hill for, challenge, for, for first. But I wanted to get sub 40, and I got, like, 39. So I was quite happy with it. But, you know, just getting used to the, you know, the gears and the handbike and just being out in, in the open, deers running past you and cars run, going over, overtaking you. It was, it was quite something. And then I've done it for six weeks, and I managed to, to get it down to, I think, you know, like 35, 36, which isn't bad. I mean, the, uh, the, the S&C was saying that he does around for a 10K. I think he does, like... 33 or something so that was my, that was my aim but no I, I loved it every week I'd get, I'd get to this hill I've got videos I think on my Instagram and it just looks like I'm going really slow I promise you it's just a really steep hill well we started this uh, podcast uh, reflecting on uh, the Miami Open and uh, Alfie fantastic to uh, hear from you and, and all the energy the passion you clearly have for the sport when you see somebody like Roger Federer 37 winning his 101st title can you see yourself playing and winning titles at that age 37 well I'm gonna I'm gonna 
beat that one of the players that actually plays right now, who is number three, uh, maybe three in the world, Mr. Stéphane Houdet. He's the, the French player who played against each other. He's 48 years old. So if I go by that record, I think I've got a good 34 years in my bank. Um, so, yeah, it's incredible, obviously, what Federer's doing. He's an absolute legend. I mean, I think anyone, anyone can agree, agree with that. And, what, 101 titles he's now? I mean... I don't think I'm even a fifth away that, so I've got some work to do. But you know, he's for sure he's an he's an inspiration. I think I think any any tennis player can look at him and think, you know, what, I might be 30, 28, whatever it may be. I've got an injury. I could I've got, I could call it quits. But for him to keep coming back after achieving everything that possibly really is in tennis, let's be honest, it shows that he just he doesn't love the sport, and that and that is what it should be about. At the end of the day, you want to play a sport because you love it. You want to enjoy it. Um, you you want to be there and be competitive. It's not always about the money or the fame or, or any of that. And for me, it's never has been about that. Um, I would happily win a Grand Slam for nothing, to be honest. I just love playing the sport and, and being able to be at these events is is incredible. What would it mean to win Wimbledon? A lot, <laughs> yeah. Because there really there really is a hype around it. It's the best it's the best event in the calendar for us us Brits. We know it, it's home it's a home slam. How can it ever get better than that? The, the attention, the media, the fans, the support, they really get behind us. It's, and even over the last four years, like when I first was there, I was on court 17, and to be fair, it was probably just my family that were there and some friends, but you know, last year, the stands were packed. We was on court three in the final. Stands were packed. You know, we're live on BBC Two, playing our matches on the red button. The light that the sport gets in that week is groundbreaking, and it, it actually really puts pressure on the other slams to, to match that and for us it's exactly what we want because we want to be able to be on the big stage not be put out on court number 59 and back in the practice courts you know, we want to showcase our sport we want to want to show you guys what we can do and Wimbledon have given us that chance you know Phil Brook Phil and Jill Brook have been a big advocate behind that they're absolutely incredible they're so supportive of the sport and I really hope going forward that we can keep that you know momentum and that and that perseverance because at the end of the day I think centre court would be the ultimate dream um, I'm not sure the groundsman would like it, but being being in Wimbledon that three weeks, the sun's out, the strawberries and creams are out. I mean, they're not going down me, but my my, my coach takes a fair share of that. I love it. Uh, it I probably shouldn't say this, but it's, it's on my mind already, and I've got running arrows to play. It, it, you know, it really is that that big when it comes to British tennis. It's the pinnacle of the of the of the year, um, and to to win a Obviously, we've won doubles the three times now. It gets better every time we win it. But Gordon's been there. He's done it. He's he took he took home the first ever Wimbledon singles title, and, and I want to do the same. You know, it's never one's over the other. It's not a priority. But you know, when you haven't achieved something, for sure, it's on your mind. And I wouldn't say maybe my style suits the grass. I've had to adapt, and I've tried to adapt over the years. But I've been close. I feel like I've been close. I've lost to the I lost to the the, the eventual winner in the semis and. I felt like I could have I could have had my way in if, if a few points went a different different direction. So no, it's it's, it's great and obviously just having family and friends there is a big thing. Like being on the road, it's quite lonely at times. You know, not everyone gets to travel with you. It's expensive. It's it's travelling. It's time away from friends, home, family. And I'm 21, so it does take its toll. But those couple of weeks, everyone can come along. You know, we can can all get together and be one big. One big, you know, support of Hewitt family and or Team Heat, and um, I'm really good behind each other. And you know, we're very, very lucky. We've got Queens um, this year. We had an exhibition last year, and there were six of us that turned up. Uh, this year, they've actually announced that it's going to be an official event for us. So, an extra event to look look forward to. Alfie, I don't think you'll be lacking for support and the very best of luck in in your bid to win Wimbledon and all the other titles that you're going after. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. What an inspiration. And a breath of fresh air. I mean, I think firstly, 
you know, we, we are very fortunate in in our jobs, Barry, aren't we, to be able to interview all the best players in our sport. But you feel over time there becomes a sort of a barrier that comes up and it's sort of the, the stock answer. But there, there's nothing about that with Alfie. It was just honest, um, a real enjoyment. But because of, of his life experiences, wow, he's a tough cookie. And I would never say, listening to what Alfie said, that he couldn't do something. I think I think anything is possible. His, his journey, he wants to be the best player in the world. He wants to win Wimbledon. And, and I would say, absolutely, go for it. And I would have him speaking to a lot of my juniors. Because if they can't get inspired with with his journey that he's gone on, nothing will. Exactly. I think he talked about the wall, didn't he? The wall he used to hit against, the wall he faces in the current world, number one. He's a guy who can hit right through walls. And, I, and I'm sure by the end of his career, we'll be talking in, in absolutely glowing terms about the numerous major titles that he has won. Well, Baz, thanks very much for your company. And uh, to you listening, thank you for joining us again. We've been talking to uh, one of our top players, obviously, in Alfie Hewitt. Next week, we're going to be talking to another, Jamie Murray. Do join us for that.